the thing is that it's loaded with surprises, action, uh, thrills, situation, and uh, as I said, it, we put sound effects all through it, and there's a limited amount of narration, and of course a music score. Ladies and gentlemen, a very good evening and welcome to tonight's recital of three pieces by popular composers to accompany films from across the 20th century. Pounding hard on the timpani, I'm Phil Walsh. Plucking away at the ukulele, I'm Jim Hall, all ready to perform the Midnight Video Symphony No. 19. During the overture, Carl Davis provides the music as Harold Lloyd dangles haplessly from a clock 16 stories up in 1923's Safety Last. Then, a selection of well-known classical works inspire ambitious and bewildering video art meditations on life and recent history for 1990's The Orchestra. And we build to a profoundly moving crescendo as Neil Diamond imagines the kind of songs that a new age bird with a need for speed might have on his iPod in 1973's Jonathan Livingstone Siegel. Again, Hello. good to see you here. Yeah, we have to or, stop uh, meeting like this. Well, <laughs> well, it's this our seventh hour of recording this week, I think. It is, yeah. It's been, <laughs> but, uh, a, it's been a long old slog. Oh, but a fun one. Yes. No. Um, just as we're recording today, I've just finished this. Uh, I've just finished listening to Phil's edit of uh, Side B of Show 18, our <laughs> soundtrack special, which was a lot of fun to do, and I, I, I blown our own trumpets. It was no, I really enjoyed listening back to it. Although yes, we're we're noticeably a bit tired and emotional in the second one. I think <laughs> it's got to be emotional. Though. Yes, yeah, well, I was um, <laughs> I was getting a bit uh, weepy, I suppose. There. But, uh, no, here we are for show nineteen. And uh, your laptop? How's your laptop doing? Because that's been yeah, yeah, it's struggling. It's str- I was finishing off editing show eighteen with two laptops and like sort of swapping between the two. One of them was my wife's French one, so. I was learning French on as well at the same time. Trying to remember what the French for window is. Fenêtre. Fenêtre, yes. <laughs> um, La fenêtre. But no, it all packed up and. Yeah, I was really panicking because we had plans to record midweek and yeah. that fell through. But yeah, no, it came through in the uh, in the seventh hour, I suppose. Yeah. Now. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's bearing up. But hopefully, plain sailing tonight. I have visions of this all crashing and deleting just as we're doing the outro or something. Like the American economy. Oh, yes. Oh, anyway, ready to uh, get kicking? Yeah, crack the whip. If you've heard of silent comedian Harold Lloyd at all, then the image now in your head is of a bespectacled man in a straw boater hanging far above the busy streets from a clock. Quite how he got there is revealed in Safety Last, in which trouble with the law, a handsomely paid publicity stunt, and the need to impress his girlfriend all lead Harold to the most iconic moment in any of his peril pictures. <laughs> <laughs> 
Harold Lloyd, a figure from your childhood at all? Not really. You're no. a bit too young. Yeah, um, I, I'm sure he was probably uh, repeats on TV, but yeah, I just I don't remember. More uh, Laurel and Hardy for me. That's it. When I was a kid, um, they certainly used to have compilations of Harold Lloyd's, um, well, all of his film work, but they cut them down and. Uh, well, it's a bit like the film we were talking about the other week, uh, Time of the Apes, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, key sequences from his stuff would be cut out, and they'd have some wise cracking guy talking over them. Um, <laughs> and they'd throw these in half-hour chunks uh, around tea time while you were waiting for the news. Is this a good or a bad thing? Um, I guess it's a good thing, because it got me into them. Yeah. And one of the reasons I was very keen to do Harold Lloyd is um, it seems to me a lot of people, um, certainly in England, if you're under 30... Is a bit of a is an unknown. Whereas, like I say, Laurel and Hardy, and certainly Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, to a lesser extent, are known. And it's not so much that their stuff turns up on TV now. Even uh, sadly, it's more that physically they're quite iconic figures. You'll see posters of them. Whereas Harold Lloyd had a very normal look to him. He just looks like a normal bloke in his. He usually wears a sort of three-piece suit, straw boater, the glasses. You know. Mm. Whereas the others had that quite. You know, Keaton with his hangdog expression, Laurel and Hardy. I don't need to describe them. We we know what they look like, mm. but his stuff's been forgotten, even though he was hugely successful at the time and um, was really uh, regarded as an innovator by uh, Buster Keaton as well. And yeah, you know, these uh, not so much these films because this is probably I think I have seen Safety Last before once before. Um, but it's rare for me to sit through a whole silent movie. I don't think I've ever, like a full-length one. As a kid, these were on in half-hour chunks, and I always loved. It's what pa Harold Lloyd called his peril pictures because there were other ones when he was gripping to the side of a building, and it was I don't know. I, I had a big thing about not Vertigo, but um, but yeah, I was really keen to see this this full movie. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah. I I was completely um, shocked by how uh, how utterly involving it was. Uh, it was remarkable. Because, yeah, I think that's the only silent film I've ever sat through as well. I've seen bits of them, or I've seen, like, truncated versions. Um, I saw Metropolis, but, like, broken down into little pieces. Yeah. Well, that tends um, to get done with, live, a, with, a, yeah. with, like, a live soundtrack, basically. Um, yeah, so I was I was quite quite intrigued, but like from the get go, this is just all the way like gags. Like, there's there's no let up really, and um, yeah, leading up to the to the really famous iconic imagery of him climbing up this building at the end. But I w wouldn't have realised there was all this story before. I mean, there's it's quite a bizarre story as well. It is. Um, I mean, what, a thing that struck me was um, watching it for this was how those early days of cinema, you think it would just be the visuals, but they even seem here to have got that quite a modern take on how you uh, introduce information into the, the story so the audience knows why something's going to be happening later. There's a little sequence even when uh, Harold Lloyd gets stuck in the back of a laundry van and driven across town, but the way that they have to indicate, well, why wouldn't he just bang on the driver's cabbing him to stop we have to establish that the driver's hard of hearing but it's a silent movie so I, and there was a subtle way they did that earlier on as well I actually made a gag of it later on um, why I mean the reason he's climbing the building is one of his friends his, his, um, his roommate is going to climb the building he's this um, construction worker with a head for heights 
you must imagine how the script was worked backwards. Well, he can't do it, so Harold has to substitute. Why can't the construction worker do it? The police are after him. Why are the police after him? And, they, you know, it's kind of goes back and goes back mm. and goes back. And, yeah, it's great. And, yeah, right from the beginning, um, like you say, there's gags there all the way. A really black joke at the very beginning, isn't there? There's a setup to make it appear like he's going to be um, taken off to the gallows. Oh, that is, is so funny. I was, I was, because it started in that manner, I was like, yeah, well, there's a go. caption card up, isn't there, yeah. saying, you know, he's, 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 I can't remember how they phrase it, but the way it is phrased, this caption card suggests that he's going off to death rather yeah. than leaving his hometown and going off on a, country. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that, that opening is, is just brilliant. And it just, yeah, it just carries on from there. It is like little side gags going along all the time. And he's got such an expressive face, but also it's quite, um, I don't know, it's paradoxical because it's kind of, because he's so I think white that, and that pale. works because he yeah. just looks blank at everything. Yeah. Not in the way like Buster Keaton will be extreme when it's Hang Dog or Droopy the Dog as well. When whatever's happening, they just seem nonplussed by it all. Mm. And just Harold Lloyd seems to be permanently a bit bewildered, isn't he? But, yeah. Uh, well, there is a good one. It's not in this. I think there is one when he's high up on a building and looks down and then looks up and his hair stands on end. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> and then he does it again. They they know exactly the right number of times to do it to keep it funny. Um. So before we get on to because I'm sure we'll talk about that stunt element to mm. it later, um, what did you think of the build-up? Because most of the story here is, uh, well, very much a Great Depression kind of story, isn't it? He moves from a small town, leaves his sweetheart behind, uh, goes off to the big city. I'm not sure if it's expressly New York, is it? Or uh, Yeah, I was puzzling matter. about it's, that. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't too sure. Um, but yeah, he's sharing a room with his friend. They can't make the rent. Um and he gets this job in a department store, which is going to be hauntingly familiar <laughs> for uh, <laughs> you and I. God, yeah, the world of retail. That, well, that was another thing. That world of retail hasn't altered one jot, and this movie is like 90 years old. No, yeah. I, I found it fascinating to look at um, how, you know, the roads are full of cars. There's parked cars everywhere. The streets mm. are busy. The public transport is completely overcrowded, and it's it's just like now, you know, nothing's changed in a hundred years. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't know whether that's that was a conscious sort of decision on the the director's behalf mm. or even on Lloyd's behalf. Um, well, it works. I mean, we've said before with silent movies, you have very exaggerated physical performances. But I suppose the plot has to be. It can't be too nuanced, can it? It has to be quite broad and hit people with uh, things they're going to be familiar with. Mm. So this does really hold up in that regard because you've got a love story at the centre of it, or well, maybe not a love story, but you've got that reason for why Harold Lloyd's doing this. It's mm. it's nothing beyond he's trying to impress his girlfriend and make enough money. He doesn't want to be rich, does he? He wants to. No, no, not at all. He wants to get by. It's clear how impoverished uh, everyone is in this film. Yeah, because you have that sequence where he he desperately wants to buy a chain for her, doesn't he? Yes. But he's just thinking of this meal that he yeah, could get Yeah, there's the businessman's well. lunch, which we see, and he's going to buy, and then he goes off to, it's got to be said, quite a stereotype to Jewish pawnbroker or something, isn't it? Rubbing his hands, <laughs> yes. And Carl Davis's music probably doesn't really help no. at this point. Yeah, Carl Davis has provided a new score for it. Um, I'm not sure when that was written, but... I would say the main theme he uses in it, I seem to recall, was cropped up a lot. Right. Um, in there's an excellent um, documentary narrated by Lindsay Anderson um, on Harold Lloyd, which oh. uses that throughout. It's almost like the Harold Lloyd's theme tune. Is that in the box? Does that come with the box set? Uh, possibly, like the complete, yeah. The ultimate collection. Thing. I've not looked yeah. up the box set, but it's quite tempting after seeing this. <coughs> mm. um, 
but yeah, going back, that businessman's lunch, which is seen, and then as he's counting out the money for this chain he's going to buy for his sweetheart's necklace, um, the the items on that tray just vanish. They sort of dematerialize in front of him <laughs> till it's just the coffee, and even that goes in the end. And again, you're thinking, well, that's such an inventive joke to use in a silent movie. It was fascinating to see how... Uh, how much movement you could use with the camera in those days? Mm. You had it attached to an ambulance at one point, so you get this point of view of the the, the ambulance the, going down the street. Yeah, because this is Harold trying to get back to work in time after this thing with the laundry van, which reminded me of the Orson Welles story when he had so much work on, he had to get from radio studio to radio studio. Oh yes, that's right. And he claims, I think this could be a tall tale he was telling but he claims he found out it was, wasn't illegal to ride in an ambulance if you weren't ill so he used to just go there and go through all the red lights in an ambulance <laughs> um, but yeah this is it. before we get anywhere near climb, climbing up a building it's so full of things like that and just the, the whole world of the department store is is anyone's working environment with the, the levels of management above them mm. the dreadful customers There's a there's a very familiar uh, moment when everyone else has gone for lunch and Howard Lloyd's just got one customer who wants a sample but it, as it keeps cutting back she wants more and more of the samples off the shelf and he's looking exhausted and uh, and in the end she wants the first one anyway yeah you know, <laughs> uh, yeah it just made me want to watch more though like, by the time it had finished because it's quite short anyway yeah it's about an hour and a quarter yeah and but I was wondering because I'd imagine a lot of people in the 1920s um, who going to cinemas were probably um, illiterate and couldn't read, so they wouldn't be able to read the cards in between. Mm. So, oh, I not thought I, of that. Yeah, because I was wondering, would it work just purely as a visual uh, without those card cue cards? Or Off what, the what top of my head, of caption cards. Caption so cards. I, I think they're called. Off the top of my head, I think it would because those are usually asides, aren't they? I yeah. think you tend to even if you if you couldn't read I think you'd get the idea of he sends letters and then you see a woman reading them and taking the necklace out and all that kind of mm. stuff the the jokes they tended to be asides like Harold would write on certain days like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday not That's a great right. gag but it was just something to build things up uh, yeah. yeah. so the, the meat of the film which is actually kind of the last 15 minutes but um, this is Harold Lloyd scaling this building um Amazingly, I may have told you this before. You may have heard it. He only had half of one hand. Oh, <laughs> because point. of the 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 bomb. A weird, yeah, a weird freakish accident when he was uh, having some photos taken with the press, and he was holding up a prop bomb, like an anarchist bomb, a ball with a fuse, and uh, there was a charge in it. And I think it was only because he was lowering it as it went off, but it blew off a couple of his fingers. So he always wore this kind of flesh-coloured glove with some uh, stiff fingers in. But yeah, to think he's... Well, obviously he doesn't climb the building for real, but he is uh, he's some distance up. I mean, have you ever seen the photos of what the actual filming of these was like? No, I've, I've only read about the fact that he didn't actually... Um, climb a full-size building. And no, that, I mean... There's a stuntman for certain... There's a, certainly a stuntman well. for certain bits when it's from the top looking down. Right. Um, but the most of the shots we see are Harold Lloyd right at the forefront and the streets are in the background. Mm. It's kind of a forced perspective thing. It's because of the way the, the hills were or where this was filmed. But yeah, they'd usually have a platform it's still seemingly some distance below him. <laughs> like if you <laughs> fell off it, you probably wouldn't be too wise. No. But obviously you're not going to plummet to your death. But I... 
yeah, I haven't got the words to describe it. Like, as I say, as a kid, I was really obsessed with that falling from a great height thing. And it wasn't Mm. like a scary dream. It was something I found quite exciting. Um, So I really enjoyed watching this again and or seeing it properly, you know, in its context. The actual bit when he's hanging from a clock isn't that bigger piece is it it's just that image is yeah it, like I say, if you're going to know for anything it's that it's him hanging from the. he doesn't just hang from the clock it's the face starts coming away with the the thing the, the one for me was the plank of wood yes where there's like decorators are working in an office and there's a plank of wood protruding from a window and he he gets on this and then it sort of extends out like yeah, he's it's like the cliffhanger of an old Batman oh, uh, my heart was yeah. in my mouth I was like Ooh, oh my god <laughs> but it's so well edited and put together that it's, it becomes very tangible like what, what's going on you know you've got these two decorators desperately trying to pull him back in but he's he's out though he's like really angry. like yeah, you said it might not be 15 stories up or but it's still a remarkable physical feat that he's doing yeah. even with presumably chunks of the film are speeded up mm. um, but I do love it was kind of an unintentional gag I suppose it's just the fact he's, cl- he's climbing this building for a publicity stunt there's a massive crowd at the bottom he, people on the, some of the floors are at their windows and looking out at him and cheering him on and then other floors there'll be two guys doing some decorating <laughs> one floor where someone's having a photographic session with a guy dressed as a burglar yeah. in order to make one of the other jokes work but I don't know, yeah. stuff like that really tickled me and mm. um, and throughout it yeah, um, the guy who's meant to be cl- climbing the building, the sort of human fly figure is being chased inside the building by a cop, he keeps leaning out saying, Harold you have to go one more floor one more floor and then um, and yeah, all of that stuff was great. And yeah, inexplicably, things like tennis nets coming out, um, yeah, falling onto Harold Lloyd. <laughs> the one I really loved is when the kids had dropped some aniseed balls or something and they'd landed on Harold's hat. Just the fact he's climbing a building wearing a straw hat in the first <laughs> place is pretty good. But pigeons landing on his Aww. hat was just the icing on the cake. I thought that was lovely. Yeah, because there was, there was quite a number of the pigeons, weren't they? They were like, on top of him and... Uh, he ended up like using a brown paper bag. Yeah, he bangs a brown paper bag to make it uh, scare them off. Going back to something we said earlier, you'd have thought just the images would be enough, but they really seem to have worked in the script and getting you involved in it. And that there's a genuine air of tension in that whole final scene, you know, final sequence. Um, right up to when he, I don't think this is a spoiler, reaches the top of the building and also I realise it's not enough for him to reach there you have to then escalate the peril further and so yeah there's a few more jokes right up until the end isn't there yeah oh, there's jokes until it's the sort of very end is out doesn't it there's yeah and that's that's a lovely joke at the very end with the tar on the roof that's <laughs> is, uh, so well done yeah any uh, any bad points I've got to say I found the girlfriend quite annoying yeah um, even though she doesn't speak yeah, she doesn't really do much, does she? But she's a uh, plot point. She's, yeah, she's a plot point more than anything. Um, I, yeah, she d- she yeah, didn't do much. That, for me. I mean, but it saying works, she's it annoying, it reminds me of another bit that I really love, which is when Harold, she, his girlfriend, unexpectedly turns up at this department store where Harold's working in a very menial role, but he's told her in letters that he's the manager. Uh, so there's a whole sort of bit when Harold's bamboozling the staff and trying to convince his girlfriend that he's in charge of them all and you know we won't go into it but I just thought that was I love the fact he's ba- um, the character of Harold Lloyd is able to think on his feet like that and even though pull off all that, these like, tricks look and yeah, yeah he'll be getting one great. over on someone <laughs> so yeah no it's, it's 
probably not for me to say, but I can imagine in the Depression era, this is something that would really be quite an inspirational thing and lift your spirits and good yeah. night, good night down the pictures. Definitely. If I'm sounding a bit disembodied, that's because I'm recording this at home whilst I'm editing show 19. So it's right up to the last minute stuff. Uh, it's just to let you know that we won't be having um, show 20 next week because it coincides with Fright Fest and we haven't recorded it yet. Um, but we do plan on doing a bit of a Fright Fest special when we get back and that might precede show 20. But the main thing is there won't be anything released um, next weekend. Just just so that you're uh, not worried about oh no where's uh, where's the impending midnight video which I'm sure most of you won't be so <laughs> um, anyway let's crack on choices. <laughs> um, the Orchestra by Zbigniew Rubzinski, I think. My favourite Italian dessert. <laughs> uh, Polish uh, director, writer, cinematographer, producer. Uh, the reason I wanted to do this was because it's basically the only film I could find um, that's available by him. It's only an hour long film anyway. And he was the cinematographer on a film that I greatly admire, which is Angst mm -hmm. by Gerald Cargill, um, which is unfortunately banned in the UK. But you can. Is it? Yeah. Oh, right. I didn't and realize. And in America as well. Okay. Yeah. It was only released in France and Belgium, as far as I'm aware. Oh, and Germany. Um, but anyway, the, the Angst is about um, a serial killer, but the cinematography in it is hyper stylized and all over the place and it was a massive influence on one of my favourite directors, Gaspar Noe so I was keen to see what he would do as a writer producer, yeah, director head off the leash yeah and um, wow yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we didn't write a, uh, an introduction for this because yes. it's very hard to. It's not synopsize. something you can really describe what it is. It it does it does feel like an arts installation type thing. Um, I remember it does look because it's from nineteen ninety, is it? Yeah. Um, there used to be a lot of this kind of thing on art shows in the late eighties when I mm. think um, using video effects was a new kind of art form and. Yeah, it used to just be left for these fairly freeform things, kind of floating around. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to expect from it. No. Um, I did enjoy it, though. I thought it was really good. I mean, I got, I'll admit, I'm probably not in a rush to watch it a second time anytime soon, but whilst it was on, I was quite caught up in it. So it's, um, well, let's make some effort to describe it. I suppose it's what is it, about half a dozen classical pieces. Yeah. The Usually fairly six, well known. Yeah things yeah I think all of them are things you'll recognize yeah, you Ave Maria, Bolero, yeah. Bolero, the funeral march yeah 
uh, my favourite. Uh, genuinely, I do love the funeral march, really? not just because of the connotations. <laughs> I think it's a really good. I love it when it gets quite hysterical after that slow yes. build up. <laughs> um, and yeah, all of them illustrated with, uh, I guess, kind of aristocratically dressed figures. More often than not. Yeah. Um, this with the video effects generally uh, either choreographed with their physical movement or the way it's been edited will will echo what's happening musically. Or There's another a lot thing, of metaphors yeah. and allegories going on um, throughout. I, for me, it seemed to be a sort of... Um, it, it went through various stages of life like quite often I thought yeah um, it, it describes a lot of emotions like grief aging unrequited love mm. and then ends up as something more political although quite what it was saying well I suppose uh, it's fairly clear but it almost was using communist iconography wasn't it so yeah, I suppose I this was immediately after I thought it was basically the rise and fall of communism yeah. but it, well we can start at the, yeah. the, the last one it doesn't really matter what order we talk about them in mm. but yeah I thought the last one was very striking because yeah. it's just images of it's a staircase. Yeah. staircase it's a staircase it's kind of like um, Stairway to Heaven sorry Matter of Life and Death is the British yes. of Powell and Pressburg when they have that huge staircase but it's kind of an escalator in that as well mm. isn't it it physically moves the thing this because it's kind of video art is and with a lot of these I had a feeling of um Isha kind of drawings when mm. they have an infinite regression, but they'd all they'd all have been probably one piece of set which gets looped around in That's the right. editing process. So we're following characters going up these steps. The steps look to be coming down, but the background is fixed, isn't it? Clouds. Yeah. Oh, they, and they say colours and yeah, but the positions of like them kind of stay oh, constant. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it is like the stairs are moving rather than we're following them yes. up and the cameras, you know. <laughs> this is going to be a tough movie to describe, <laughs> isn't it? But yeah, throughout that there are statues and busts of Lenin and Marx uh, and, there's and Stalin. There's KGB agents yes, yes. and there's like the workers yeah. you know, with their sickles and mm. uh, hammers and then there's what look like kind of prostitutes. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot of um, naughty ladies in this, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, there's one recurring character through several pieces is this woman in her underwear who mm. seems to be... Um, yeah, a bit of a femme fatale. She's usually after people's money. I think she gets killed a few times, doesn't she? Yeah. You see it from a noose at one point and <laughs> um, disemboweled. We don't see a disemboweled, but it's clear something uh, awful is happening to her behind a, like a conjurer's curtain. That's right. Um, yeah, it's kind of difficult to describe it all. Um, I mean, the I best you could say it's a, it's a series, but they're kind of like music videos in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. they remind me of, like you were saying, those 80s, 90s videos, but they also put me in mind very much of, uh, we always chat about him at some point, but like Greenaway's work on mm -hmm. Prospero's books, and I was watching yeah. the Tulsa Looper suitcases the other day, which are very much, again, it's in that similar vein. Mm. Um, almost, it's hard for your brain to take it. Yeah, and yet that was something I've written down. I it should be quite nausea-inducing, especially the second piece, the funeral march, which is a keyboard. It's going to be tough to describe. There's a keyboard in the foreground. There's this very grand building behind them. Um, with every note, someone takes their hands off the keyboard and then vanishes, even though the notes just being played is them re sort of retreating from it. And it's um, it's you it's. A lot of the imagery is kind of how cinema usually depicts an acid uh, trip, isn't it? With <laughs> yeah. kind of visual echoes, people mm. kind of after images of them there, um, and 
that should have made me feel quite ill, but I got quite sort of, uh, yeah, quite swept up in it. I thought it looked great. Mate, did that really clever thing I thought of, the potential, I know what you mean, of being mm. nauseous by it, and then it changed to, uh, it started moving along, so yeah. there'd be a number of keyboards with and children playing. And almost a story yeah. being told, um, yeah. as we've said before, passing through life, and there seemed to be a marriage kind of building up and breaking down in there. Um, well, actually, it led on to that uh, yeah, the cathedral sort of, piece with yeah. the almost Christ-like uh, images of a couple. Or the two naked couple. Yeah. The, the, the naked couple floating, floating about. Yeah. Um, it's quite striking as well. Yeah, although um, between that, there's a piece with a kind of butler walking along planks of wood, which go up and down. It's like Donkey Kong or something. Yeah, <laughs> I think I wrote down. It's like a platform game. That yeah, one. although that... Um, that was one when I was thinking, I'm not entirely sure how this was done, because I knew the guy hadn't set up planks in a circle, maybe, and the camera was revolving. Possibly that was how it was done, actually. Because um, you be, can't yeah. see a point where it would there'd be an edit, no. where the two pieces have been joined, because this just goes on just goes for on about five moment. minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, the opening piece is really nice. It's... Um, uh, three or four elderly couples waltzing with each other, and mm. it's one of those uh, great things where they're not brilliant dancers, but they clearly have been choreographed a little. But that, again, the camera revolving around and they're kind of appearing and vanishing, and um, it reminded me of um, it's possibly what the end of two thousand and one could have been like, because <laughs> again, you've got grand surroundings and a feeling of everything coming to an end. Um, I've not, have you seen uh, Last Year in Marion Bad? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that sort of thing as well, of this recurring dream mm. and uh, being set in a very peculiar but grandiose grandiose surroundings. Um, he's also picked some quite eccentric-looking performers, which is a good thing. Uh, like I say, there's probably three or four couples and at the beginning, and throughout it you've got a limited number of performers, but you kind of get to know them a little bit. Yeah, the character comes through in a way. Yeah. Um, performance. Yeah, and I've got to say one of the sequences as well, which is the women with the um, sort of fusilier guards. Soldier yeah. in, in the Louvre. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not explicit, but they're really sexy, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> they're just in very elegant uh, gowns. But I think the, the way ballet they dance yeah. the way they move, they seem to yeah, they're just glide it, and flow. It was a um, very erotic piece, I thought. Yeah, Even I mean, though, yeah, you don't see anything. It's just um, the it way it's It's particularly all strange that because. Yeah, obviously there's, there's this like backdrop image of um, a camera circling in because I saw the raft of Medusa, that big famous mm -hmm. painting. That's why I knew. Not the Medusa loop. touch. <laughs> no, <laughs> had some fun with recently. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then you've got the fusiliers or guards or whatever they are, and as one guy's going around them getting dressed, they're. Mm becoming in a state of undress aren't yeah. you? and then the women come in and it, it's just I found it really just puzzling because I was blinking mm. and there's something had been removed like, it was yeah. very well edited like. throughout it it was one of those things where um, I was constantly thinking I'm not sure how this was done because it wasn't done randomly was it no. it must have had an incredible amount of planning I would imagine so. But then I don't really understand the process of what, how it was done, um, like physically what effects were used. So, but I can't imagine it just being a bunch of stuff was filmed and then you manipulated it afterwards. It, it must have been just loads and loads of things yeah, painstakingly worked through so that he had all, all the coverage. Because it had to fit with this music as well. It wasn't mm -hmm. like you could then find a track that went along with what you were left with. 
Yeah, because I would have thought also in the 1990s, you're still pretty limited as to what you can do um, effects-wise. Yeah, I mean, this was visual, early, uh, early video on. Video yeah. effects, sorry. Yeah, because um, yeah, one down point with this is it does look... Um, I think it was done for TV, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it does look... There is something quite cheap looking about it. Um, well, you've, you've but got it's that black outline. Yeah, you, um, yeah, but it's it's so well done that you you sort of you ignore that after a while. But my first thoughts were, oh, yeah, it was taking me back to things I used to see <laughs> on. Uh, I know Channel Four had an art strand called the Eleventh Hour, and a lot mm. of it would be this kind of performance piece. But usually, not as long as an hour. But an hour, I think, is kind of the perfect time for this. It was starting to outstate's welcome, but. Um, because I knew it was coming to an end with that. Is it Bolero at the end yes. with the stairs? Yeah, uh, yeah it was building up to a big, big finish. Yeah, I was, um, I'm, I'm very happy that you enjoyed it. Cause yeah. I was in two minds. I was thinking, Jim, <laughs> it's going to be a love-hate thing. <laughs> yeah, I? no, I, I did enjoy it. Um, have you looked into whether he's done much else? Yeah, um, I mean, I've tried to get hold of. I'm his not even going to try and pronounce his name. Yeah, I think it's Zabagliani. Yes. Um He's done a lot of music videos, mm -hmm. funnily enough, in the eighties and nineties, um, and these short short films in the seventies as well, and obviously this. But he hasn't done much for a long time. Um, yeah, I'd really, I'm going to try and my best to hunt down and find some stuff because he's obviously got a visual flair. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what he could do with like current technology mm. if someone's given him the the means to do that. This is a public service announcement. Midnight Video T-shirts are now available to purchase from the website www.midnight-video.com That's for all you people who don't follow us on Twitter or Facebook or even check up on the blog. Um, yeah, just to get it out there and I'll let more people know that they are available to buy. All the sizes, prices, um, including postage, the details are on the website and if you're attending Fright Fest we'll be there and we can give you t-shirts then it'll be a tenner cash in hand bit of a bargain so you can whip your old one, old t-shirt off that is and uh, put the new one on and show, show a bit of midnight video love um, also whilst we're on the subject of Fright Fest Jim and I will be in attendance as we've mentioned on numerous occasions sat in row double E seat 20 and 21 with our mate Lee from the Movie Matters podcast um, we'd love people to come and say hello or you can maybe meet us at the begin beginning of the festival in the Imperial pub just around the corner from the Empire I think loads of people will probably be meeting there anyway so it'll be good to uh, crack heads and glasses <laughs> Um, the Final Destination 5 and Panic Button are two films that we're not overly keen on so we were thinking of having um, some drinks but you know we're, we're open to suggestions and it'll just be good to chat to people anyway wherever and whenever so yeah look forward to seeing you and look forward to hearing people uh, clamour for some of those Midnight Video t-shirts What will I hit if I die from 10,000 feet? When, in 1973, director Hull Bartlett decided that his last few projects had been worthless clunkers, 
He, along with an awful lot of other lost souls at the time, turned to Richard Bach's inspirational, and more importantly slim volume, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. This big screen fable in which an aspirational seabird ignores the disapproval of his colony in a desperate bid to fly faster than any gull before him has James Rosiscus and Hull Halbrook providing the bird's vocals and spawned a hit album of songs for Neil Diamond. Okay, Jim, this was your choice. Yep. I've liked pretty much everything that we've watched so far, even, even some of the turkeys, but this seagull. <laughs> Jonathan Livingston turkey. This, this fucking seagull. <laughs> Um, um, egregious right that's Um, that's the only word I can think of without resorting to a swearing rant I received a few texts from you last night suggesting that you weren't too too enamoured with this well let me ask you at what point did it because I could imagine I'm going to guess I'm going to guess it's actually right from the beginning where a caption card comes up after the titles and says um Dedicated to the real Jonathan Livingston Siegel, who lives within us all. Yeah, you're not, you nail on the head there. Um, Come I've on, never, Phil. Never Haven't you got a Jonathan Livingston <laughs> Siegel inside you? If I have, he's bitter and twisted. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read the book. Um, kind of knew what it was about. Uh, in fact, my wife, I think she saw it in a bookshop once. She went, Oh, have you read that? I was like, No, no, I'm not going to either. <laughs> and now I know why. Foy Gras recipe. God, yeah, I mean, it's like <sighs> Paolo Coelho meets Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. That absolute gash that was coming out around that period. And what was the hit rec- um, hit record? The hit book when we were working at that store. The oh, Secret. The Secret, the yeah. The Secret, yes. I, I, I find this kind of stuff hateful. I yeah. find it really invasive, and it's also... Um, it's just wrong. That <laughs> yeah, every I suppose you're right. Every few years, there's a spike when some kind of new age, get your life together book becomes a hit. And yeah, I think it was uh, significant that this is a very slim book. Yeah. And I um, is this a long film? It's like an hour and forty minutes. Isn't yeah, um, like you, I was kind of familiar with it. I knew it was a sort of turn your life around inspirational fable. I didn't know specifically what it was about and to talk about the film a bit um, yeah it's kind of obvious what's going on There's, um, we have Jonathan himself a seagull, just to explain um, you've got real wildlife photography here which um, well, we'll talk about it in a second but throughout it the seagulls have um, actors doing the voices and I know at one point, I think the producers wanted Disney-style animated beaks so that there was some lip-sync going on, which they don't do, thankfully. It's almost like they're communicating telepathically. But um, I don't think it would have made any difference <laughs> to me at all, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, but yeah, Jonathan is keen to break the 62 miles per hour barrier, which is fast. Is apparently the limit that a seagull can um, fly at and he's desperate to beat that and um, the rest of his colony don't want him to do that I'm not sure why they have such a beef with it or a fish head uh, because there's one point where he's up in front of the elders and there's like you want answers to questions that have been um, answered, answered long ago long ago you know it's yeah. pack mentality isn't it pack mentality <laughs> um, but yeah the the, the, par- the parallels clear there it's about um, you know it's telling you as an audience member to do your own thing and ignore the naysayers out there. Transcend your limitations. Well, that's the problem for me. <laughs> uh, there are several problems, <laughs> I must admit. <laughs> there are several. <laughs> um, there's a flock of uh, problems here. That's not a bad message to push, to 
do your own thing. I mean, hopefully people know it anyway, but I suppose you need a bit of a, a bit of reminding. But it goes beyond that into this kind of Jedi Knight. It's a very specific kind of um, philosophy that Richard Bach had. Because it goes beyond just, you know, don't let anyone tell you what the limits are, you know, God, which, which could actually be a bad message, I suppose. It can lead to fascism and all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it then goes on to this stuff with, uh, yeah, seagulls that can wink out of existence and has this very whacked out strand of new uh, oriental, new age philosophy yeah. with uh, ultimate, ultimate with speed is being there already. Yeah. With Chang the Elder? Or yes, Chang and Maureen. I, I, love, I love that bit in uh, The Watchman uh, Tales of the Black Freighter when he eats a live seagull. <laughs> it's suddenly got a newfound <laughs> love for that. Blood caked on his lips. Um... Well, I'm going to ask you, was there anything you did like about this? Because I do think the photography in it is really fantastic. I think some of the photography is good. Uh, I think it's very dated, and I've, I'm questioning the methods of how they got some of the... Uh, Birds in peril shots. Yeah. Yeah, there is a specific bit when Jonathan's plummeted into the ocean and kind of crawls onto, not a raft, it's a bit of flotsam... Um, mm. But he's still alive, but looks pretty bad and uh, looks blurred. Alive. And um, even though David Lynch insists the Robin was acting at the end of Blue Velvet, <laughs> I, I can't really believe that Hall Bartlett had got some method seagull. Said, oh, "Okay, you know, look, not just physically broken, but despondent. The look in this seagull's eyes is just of uh, his dreams dying. Yeah, so I'm not sure one. how they did it. So I don't know if they had just broken a seagull's neck and put it there. There's one later as well who's got sort of a limp and a busted wing and has this child's voice which is quite irritating mm. and that's a questionable message as well it was like yes you can fly even though you've been born presumably lame as I'm not sure what the message well, there there's is this kind of like weird Christian dogma that comes into play in the it's a mishmash of all sorts <laughs> if, yeah seriously if you thought Jedi's in the force was all sorts <laughs> this is oof, it's whatever occurs to him at the time seemingly although in fairness yeah well, I've not read the Bark book, um, so whether the philosophy there is a bit more garbled in the actual film. He did have a falling out apparently yeah. with the makers, the, the filmmakers. Sorry, yeah. um, I'm not sure what over. I, I only watched this last night, so I didn't really have that much time to get into the uh, the background or the history of it. Um, and I'm not going to. Okay, <laughs> you're not going to follow it up. No. Um, but yeah, you say the photography is dated. I thought it looked great at the beginning as a kind of wildlife documentary. Yeah, well, bits of it. Yeah, I don't want to be overly harsh on it. It was quite impressive, especially like the sort of well, it's not the wildlife shots, yeah. but it's the shots where you're in it's flying the through view the clouds. There's a great bit at the opening with the uh, with the, um, the 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 uh, waves crashing. I thought that was really great. Oh, the build up of the yeah, that was really the sound something. on it was really good. Um, and then it has some quite ropey effects later. When we got into the sort of the Jedi seagull sequences, there's a bit when they're flying in space, I think, briefly, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, they start talking in all sorts of odd little um, pseudo-cod bullshit. Well, one that particularly <laughs> struck me was given um, it's later on when Jonathan's telling is it Fletcher Seagull towards the end, said, you know, what the colony doesn't understand is that. Um, we, we will always do what we want to it's in our nature and um, it's a principle, it's a law like aerodynamics that will never fail you and you're thinking, hold on, you spent the beginning of the film <laughs> trying to beat aerodynamics and succeeding and going from 62 miles to 200 miles an hour whatever it was um, 
so yeah, a little bit of a mixed message there. But yeah, I, it it lost me spiritually. I I, I would say half um, about halfway through. Never gained me. Um, well, the other question I have to ask you is: uh, Is Neil Diamond going to be wearing down your stylus? Because he in is. A million years. <laughs> no way. I, uh, the thing is, I'm not massively knowledgeable about Neil Diamond. Uh, I know he's always kind of been a bit of a figure of fun for mm. younger yeah. music listeners, but he was very popular in the 60s and yeah. well, 70s. Well, he's another one with a bit of a reinvention. Did he do Sweet Caroline? Yeah. yeah, and he wrote a lot of songs for the Monkeys. Oh, that's right, he did the Rubin-produced album. Yeah, Rick, yeah, after Johnny Cash had yeah. um, gone <coughs> faster than 62 miles an hour, um, <laughs> Neil Diamond did his next project, which... Oh, but the music is just. Are oh. uh, they singing in Latin at some point? There's like a Latin chorus or something, like young children by the sounds of I it. I might have zoned out a little bit at that point. But the lyrics are beyond spoofing. They're so sincere, and I, I can't even remember what they are, but there are things about, you know, he was the clouds hung it. in the sky for the poet's eye. Yes, that's the. Yeah, that's a the word on word. a page that leads to a feeling to us. <laughs> it's. Oh. Uh, I kind of enjoyed the songs, I gotta say. Really? Uh, yeah. No, no. But I can imagine they would drive certain people nuts. What certain people? Most people. <laughs> um, yeah, it did flop at the box office. This, despite the sales of the, <laughs> despite the sales of the book. Yeah. But yeah, we gotta have a bit of sympathy for Hall Bartlett. This guy having this midlife crisis. He thought he was gonna do this project that was gonna bring him, um, not so much, you know, fame and fortune, but something that would make him spiritually feel. He'd achieved something, because looking around, one More of the him. one of the projects he'd done previously was um, an adaptation of Arthur Haley's book Zero Hour, which, if anybody knows at all now, it's the thing that the makers of Airplane watched and thought was so bad that they had to they just lifted the plot with the food poisoning. Yeah, because he's got an uncredited uh, writing credit on. <laughs> No, uncredited writing credit, is that possible? Yeah. Can you have an uncredited yeah. credit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on on airplane. Yeah. I did write down at one point I was just uh I wish I was watching Talk of the Otter because that seemed to be do kind of what this did to some degree without all the Neil the Diamond songs. Neil Diamond songs and the the pseudo philosophical religious quasi Quasimodo. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, it tells the story of nature and about how nature overcomes its problems in its environment. You know, it mm. accepts them, and that's a lot more engaging and beautiful and poignant and touching. Which just this isn't. This is just hateful. <laughs> this film is it's really bad. Really, really bad for me. I mean, <laughs> I did read a number of comments on IMDb who were massive fans of it. Really, like ten star reviews. So the, there's a market for it from seagulls, <laughs> yeah. from Chang the <laughs> Chang seagull. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about it. Really, it's um, it's a curio. It's it's you just such an odd thing me to say that. Richard, ha oh yes, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I thought you were watching it on Thursday night, but it was last night you were texting me on Friday. But when I was looking around, yeah, Richard Harris did a spoken word album of this, which um, I think someone has posted up on YouTube, so I will be checking it out. But um, that's that's a potential treat, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if his version of it's going to be uh, more entertaining than this. Yeah, judging by his like song output as well. 
Well, and again, yeah, he seems an extraordinary figure who <laughs> would probably not just do that to pick up the check. He probably had something invested in it, you know, he sort of probably, himself. Um, in it. He's probably just come out off the wagon then, or <laughs> he'd just gone on the wagon, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, I mean, in summary, the whole thing. It, it's just odd that there was that. Even though you still get books like this, which are a hit, and see people go into cosmic ordering and all sorts of things. There did seem to be something going on in the early 70s where I, I don't know if mainstream had got wind of hippiedom and were trying to apply that philosophy or baby boomers or something. But because mm. um, towards the end of this, like I say, there's a clear power, uh, there's a clear message it pushes early on, which loses me when it goes off into specifics of not having physical limits and winking out of existence. Yeah, it just comes up with this, you know, fortune cookie kind of philosophy after a while, which was very reminiscent of the sort of thing, listening to the Neil Diamond songs as well, it was very much the sort of thing you get on those William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy albums, yeah, where they're oh again, God, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of using, you get the sense that those actors were using their uh, soapboxes, sci-fi icons to push this whacked out new age philosophy. <laughs> again, you know, nothing much does... Specifically, the end of the Transform Man, the Shatner album. Have you heard that? When he goes off, he goes off and uh, gets away from the uh, the everyday life in the city and goes off and um, chops wood, and becomes one with God. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I've gone everywhere and everywhere I can think of. After a while, one begins to think that space and time are not quite real. Oof. Okay, it was a little shorter than usual, but yeah. Um, yeah, like I say, we have recorded an awful lot this week, so we don't really have any new feedback to um, to add. So, you know, bear with us. I'm afraid you just have to listen to us this week. But if you uh, if you want to hear our voices, read your thoughts, then uh, or get Jonathan inside. living, yeah, James Franciscus <laughs> and Hal Holbrook will read out your uh, thoughts. I can do it in. Jonathan's voice, a very questioning whisper. What? Really? <laughs> James Franciscus was in Cat of Nine Tales, wasn't he? Really? The Dario the Argento. Dario Argento. Yeah. Wow. And Beneath the Planet of the Apes, your favourite. You should have a triple Francisca, uh, Franciscus <laughs> this triple. This won't be on it. This will not be on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I oh. feel really sorry for Jonathan Livingston Siegel. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. Tales of the Black Friday. <laughs> Tearing into it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, we'll see you guys next time. But if you want to get in touch with us, um, Facebook, just look us up on Facebook. We've got discussion threads there where it's quite of easy for you to add stuff to our A to Z of film through Midnight Video. What are we up to, I? Uh, up to I. At up the to moment, I, but yeah. go way back to I if you've got anything to add. Um, really, like, really like to hear from you about that. Um, Twitter? Twitter is still there, Midnight Video, at, at Midnight Video. And also you can... I suppose emails becoming unfashionable these days, but yeah, hot, uh, hot retro. Mail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what are we? Midnight video at hotmail.co.uk. That's the one. And our own site, midnight video.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already, but I'm sure most of you probably do. Judging by the statistics that I look, I look at and see what, <gasps> what people are yes. doing. Yeah, it's very exciting. The iTunes crowd. But yeah, certainly Facebook and our own site are always getting updated with um, extra little goodies. Yeah, and you can like interact with other listeners as well. You know, yeah, on the, especially on the Facebook page, there's some uh, good little threads, funny videos going up there all the time. Yes, well, yes. So. And uh, you can show your love for Nicolas Cage as well. Yeah, but yeah, that's all for this week. 
Cheerio. See you next time. Bye. Lost on a painted sky where the clouds are hung for the poet's eye. You may find him. find him it was it was nasty and it was a secret and you had to hide your uh, phonograph player under the bed and all of that kind of stuff to play it